Hello. Hello. Welcome back to episode 8 of Stuff Ben and Mike Like. It's been like not even that long. An unprecedentedly short amount of time since the last episode. Well, hopefully, I mean, since, you know, basically like everyone else in the world, we've somehow now worked out how to work remotely, which we probably always could have done, but I was just like, no, we'll have to sacrifice the audio quality. What we're really sacrificing is, uh, you know, the back and forth, the, 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 the spirit in the room, the like, yeah. you know, playing off each other, whereas now we're... Uh, when you say spirit in the room, I mean, there's, it could be like gin or whiskey or vodka, any spirit, really. <laughs> it was typically whiskey from memory. <laughs> That's just usually what I have in the house. And also drinking neat vodka is just not fun. No, no. Not great for podcast voice, but here we are. You know, we've, we've adapted uh, only a year after we were locked down, so... Well, we were just burst out with way too much stuff to talk about. Uh, to wit, we have, instead of, you know, the, what was it, total, like, three and a half hours we had last time? <laughs> it was um, probably over four hours with the combined we, two halves. We're going to aim for a shorter episode today. Um going to talk through some stuff that we've watched recently, some things we've been playing recently, and um, some other stuff that we're going to talk about. Um we're going to be running through some games and some shows. What we're not going to talk about at the moment is the shows of this season's anime we've been watching because we're going to save that until the season is over. But what we are going to talk about is the shows that we stopped watching because, I don't know, and we're going to give you like just a quick list of what we are watching at the end just so if you want to follow along with Ben and Mike, then you can follow along with Ben and Mike sounds like a good sort of children's TV show I think yeah I don't think we should have children listening to this podcast I mean not that it's not particularly family friendly but I don't know they're just they'd probably just be bored to tears let's be honest them and everyone else cool so um shall we hop straight into things let's dive straight in um probably the topic that spurred us actually uh getting ourselves in gear to like record a new podcast is uh the newest season of castlevania came out on netflix newest and final season supposedly um and yeah, yeah it just, just felt that. like something we should something we should chat about you know it got got a bit of buzz uh for a few days just like any new netflix show does um especially during lockdown when there's people just have nothing else to do Indeed. I mean, it's not Although, that different to out of lockdown, to be honest. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, you know, I don't ever leave the house, so it's... Um, but then also I don't watch a lot of stuff. I mean, I do watch stuff on Netflix. I don't watch a lot of Netflix originals, so... Maybe that's another topic to discuss. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Castlevania is a show it's an animated show in a sort of pseudo anime style but not actually made by any anime studio i think it's sort of western slash korean animator production kind of thing and um it is ostensibly based on the castlevania video game series by konami i say ostensibly because well we'll get to that um and yeah, I mean, it's about, uh, if, if you're not at all aware of Castlevania, um, the 
it generally follows the story of some people, usually some kind of Belmont person who is a family of vampire hunters, and one of their descendants trying to beat up Dracula. And um, so this was the the fourth series. I actually didn't watch anything. I mean, I, th- I think we're, we're going to say there's probably going to be spoilers for the, at least the, f- well, what, how, how do we want to work spoilers for this? Uh, that's a very good question. I think we should uh, just spoil away, really. Okay, we're just going to spoil away. So if you don't want spoilers on Castlevania, skip to the next um, timestamp. Time um, so the story in seasons one and two was basically you've got our three sort of main heroes. We've got Trevor, who is Trevor Belmont. We've got Cypher, who is a... Um, a, a magician lady person and then we've got Alucard whose name is just Dracula spelt backwards who is the son of Dracula and he is a Damphir which is a half vampire half human and basically the church kills Dracula's wife and Dracula goes pretty fucking crazy and decides to murder everyone in the world and um, loads of stuff happens and eventually the heroes defeat Dracula and at the end of season two and I was like that's a pretty nice wrap up you know what I'm just going to leave it there and I hadn't really watched any since and then you were like Ben we should talk about Castlevania so I was like maybe I should watch it again so I've watched season three and season four um, all together just over the past few days so it's all very fresh still for me that's but, um, good do, it's... do you remember anything that happened in season three <clears throat> Um, very loosely. I mean, this was kind of one of the things that I was going to mention, because, like, despite the fact that, you know, well, this is kind of the case with a lot of shows these days, isn't it? But, like, it comes out, it makes a big impression, everyone's talking about it for a couple of days, but, like, then, yeah, I very quickly forget, (laughs) like, anything that happened in any given show. So, like, yeah, by the time Castlevania Season 4 came out, um... Most memories of season three are completely gone from my mind, and pretty much all memories of season one and two have, have vanished. Um, but we we did watch because Netflix has sort of like a recap trailer thing that they put on. Hmm. We watched the recap trailer for season because I think we watched the first episode of season three. We're really confused about some of the stuff that was going on, and we watched some of the we watched the recap trailer for season two, which was helpful but then also just kind of showed a lot of fighting dracula and missed out a lot of like the very key points like there's a character called uh isaac who gets pushed through a magic mirror into the desert which is a very key point as to thinking why did this character end up here (laughs) they didn't show that in the recap and that was thoroughly annoying (laughs) so i had to be like okay that it wasn't told much later where they said i got pushed through a mirror into the desert and i was like oh yeah shit that happened i remember now okay yeah, the, the recaps so, are more like kind of trailers for the for those seasons rather than like yeah. actual explanations of things that happen. Um, but so, yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, I'd, I'd say that a lot of what happens in season three and season four, there's a lot of. I, I mean, I, I don't really know that it's worth going that much into the minutiae of the story, but basically. Um, season three really just not much happens at all we can talk about that later maybe um season four is mostly about a plot to uh resurrect dracula 
which you know is kind of in keeping with the games because Dracula always comes back somehow. It's you know the old somehow Palpatine returned, except that that's just how it goes. It's not bullshit, and that it's just like yeah, Dracula's back again. You're like cool, cool, more Dracula to fight. Um, and um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of politics going on, and which I found interesting. I mean, just to kind of just just sort of pivot from my my thoughts from like the story is there anything else you want to mention on the story um not really i mean we'll, we'll get into any particularly interesting story beats that occur during season four like yeah le- leading up to season four as you say season three like story-wise almost zero happens as kind of like one or two key moments that relate to the events of season four but aside from that it's like almost entirely skippable <laughs> um mm. if if what you care about is yeah the arc of the characters um but there's some some cool action in there i did kind of feel like they had some and maybe you can counter on this but i did i felt like there was definitely some kind of game of thrones inspiration to some of the sort of the plot and the structure where they're thinking it's just like this is not you know just some you, you very quickly kind of get away from following the three main characters and you sort of go off and it's just sort of so suddenly you're like following these other side characters who you haven't really been introduced to but it's just like no but they're, they're cool guys honestly just keep watching we, they'll, they'll get better and um yeah and then you watch them and there's lots of like dialogue about political intrigue and things like that and you know also main characters getting murdered all the time there's a lot of murder the show is incredibly violent how did you feel about the violence how did I feel about the violence? Um, I quite liked it. I mean, like, I'm sure, like, no particular moment stuck with me. I'm sure there are moments where, like, it is sort of gratuitous and over the top. But, like, it's sort of moment to moment, like, during the fight sequences and when, yeah, people get, like, chopped in half and, you know, blood squirting everywhere. Like, it, was, it wasn't, um, you know, it didn't seem out of place, really. Uh, it kind of just... It felt like it fit quite well with sort of the theme yeah. of the show. I mean, I I didn't mind as you said. It did so. It got. It's like it's one of those things where it's like when it's a battle and people like getting sort of cut in half and having their just you know intestines flying everywhere. That's not too bad. It's more just like when there's like monsters like tearing off people's faces with their teeth. That somehow gets to me way more. So I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. But, yeah, that that stuff does make me uh, wince a little. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I guess it's also supposed to be a bit of a horror show as well as just an action show, so maybe we should feel that. Yeah, I'm not really sure that I ever got the horror element of it really coming through. So, I mean, there's some... I, I've got some, some comments here, which, you know, I'm just going to run through. Um, I felt like... I, this show, I mean, it's worth saying it's got a lot of famous voice actors in so like um richard armitage is voicing trevor belmont um you've got some names like um bill nye shows up and um uh what's his name lucius malfoy i can't remember the actor's name at the moment yes him he shows up and um 
a lot of other actors who you've probably heard of and seen in something. If you ever watched Hustle, then um, one of the characters is voiced by Stacy from Hustle. So, you know, that's a bit of an interesting something. I like how this is the second podcast in a row where you've mentioned Hustle. <laughs> I just love Hustle. I did watch all of it not that long ago. Um, yeah, so like, there's clearly not a shortage of acting talent. Um, although I have generally found that a lot of the time, good actors are not necessarily good voice actors. And I did feel like that, I mean, I don't know if it was just because of the script or the directing or something, but a lot of the dialogue felt really kind of stilted to me. Like, so I don't, um, I'm assuming that a lot of the people didn't record their lines in the same room. They could mm. record them in completely different studios because it sort of had that feeling of someone talks and then there's a pause and then the other person responds and then there's a pause and it kind of, it almost, I mean, I haven't really played a lot of old, um, uh, uh, sort of like Bethesda RPGs, like your Skyrim and your Fallout. It had that kind of cadence of the dialogue where someone says, hello, stranger, what can I do for you? I would like to buy an apple, please. Excellent. Here is your apple. And I don't know, it just, it never, the dialogue never felt like it flowed naturally, at least in English. Yeah, I was going to say that's something worth um, mentioning, probably, is that I didn't watch uh, this latest season, at least, in English. I watched it in Japanese, so, because uh, I'm a weeb like that. I, I thought you watched the, um, you said you watched the first season in Japanese, and then you switched back to English. Yeah, I watched it as, as a Japanese sandwich, um, so... Okay. How Man, I was I was watching in English just to you know just to match you so we could have the, these discussions. But yeah, I mean now, now you, you've you've ruined all my plans. So I I watched the first season in Japanese because um, I like hadn't actually known anything about the fact that this was coming out and this was a thing that Netflix was doing, and like I just saw Castlevania pop up on one of my like anime roundup sites <laughs> that I, you know, keep an eye on. Um and like because I guess because it's an anime site for some reason they'd uploaded the Japanese version and so like I watched it all in Japanese and then later found out, oh, this is actually a Netflix thing. Like the default language is English and yeah, it's got Richard Armitage and all these people in it, which is pretty cool. Um so then when season two rolled around, uh I did kind of want to continue watching it in Japanese because obviously, you know, that was those were the voices that I had now associated with those characters. And it has an all star like Japanese voice cast as well with like actual mm. professional voice actors like um I think Trevor is like Suabe Jenichi, I might be wrong about that. Um uh, but yeah, pretty big names. Uh but then yeah, like Netflix wouldn't let me select the Japanese audio option for season two and thus I was locked into English um for season two and for season three. Um but now in season four I can select it again. So yeah. yeah. It was a bit weird. Um Well I mean we we swapped back. We, we we did do a couple of experiments with with some of the earlier episodes in I think season three where we swapped between Japanese and English, and you were like, "Man, the Japanese are just like." I, it's weird because Japanese is like quite a flat language in terms of how the pronunciation is, but somehow it just sort of sound, it just sort of seemed to flow a lot better in the Japanese compared to the English. And I'm not really sure why. And I feel just completely betrayed because you watch the whole thing in English. And I'm like, it could have been watching this in Japanese <laughs> the whole time. 
There's still time. Um, yeah, I was going to say, in response to you, yeah, saying that it was all like very stilted and stuff. Um, yeah, the Jap- Japanese didn't have that at all. It was very, very flying, yeah, very professional performances um, and felt like very natural. And that's something that I think I'll probably keep coming back to about this season. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like the characters and their relationships and everything seem like realistic <laughs> given the setting. Um, but also like... The interesting thing about watching it in Japanese, and this is the case with a lot of Netflix shows, and I don't know if it's just like the way they do the subtitling or what, um, but the, the, the subtitles provided um, alongside the Japanese are obviously just like a, a transcript of the English dub. So like it's the script yeah. from the English dub. Um, and so like what's being said in Japanese doesn't actually match kind of like what's showing up necessarily. Um and that was a kind of really interesting way to watch it. Um, and, like, looking at that transcript, effectively, like, I can imagine it being quite an awkward <laughs> um, performance so like, on, on the English side. Like, mm. I, have a, I have a lot of thoughts about the script, generally. Um, I mean, I, I have written here that I felt like the, the, it was badly written. At least the dialogue was. I mean, I, I would say it. Okay, I'm just going to say I think it was probably just like badly written in general. Um, but the, the the voice direction I also thought was kind of bad. Maybe this, the animation direction was okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut into you there. No, no, no. Uh, all important things to uh, to throw out there. I mean, I rather than just saying it's blanket badly written, I thought that like a lot of it was really badly written. <laughs> um, and quite kind of like yeah grating uh but i think like sprinkled in there was actually some like quite genuinely like funny interactions and even like some quite poignant bits like that they Mm. were actually successful in landing in some points um but like yeah it's definitely overshadowed by and this is a thing that i found uh in like netflix original anime recently and also like just and like dubs like english dubs of uh, Japanese anime that get brought over that there seems to be a trend recently where like the tone that they go for in kind of translation or in this case just like in the scripts to accompany the animation generally is like it's just sort of trying to be edgy and cool yeah and, like I, I absolutely felt that you know there was it was one of those things where they just chuck in swear words you know we've both been to well not effectively boot camp and we know how people just throw the word fucking between every single word there it just sort of felt like that it's just like people are just throwing swear words in and it just it made me feel like none of these characters have any kind of gravitas Mm. they're all just whiny little teenagers (laughs) yeah and you've got all these kind of ancient vampires and things and um the, I mean, this is, you know, again, I've already had a spoiler warning, but the main antagonist, and we can get back to this later, the main antagonist of season four turns out to be Death, <laughs> a.k.a. the Grim Reaper, who yeah. is like a cool character in Castlevania and is, you know, what usually like one of the main kind of mini bosses in the game or, you know, actual stage bosses, whatever. And is always and you know you expect death to be like this crazy sort of like serious imposing character and instead they just had him being this like swearing cockney guy 
And I'm like, I can't, I know you're a giant skeleton with a scythe, but I can't take you seriously because you're just going, oh, fucking hell, bloody Belmonts trying to foil my plans. That's just, just, no, stop yeah. it. Just, I didn't, I didn't care if you were a company guy before, but now you're death, you've got to be serious. Yeah, like, there, there was a lot of that. I mean, particularly around his character, which is yeah, a bit of a mess, but like, yeah. It, you, you, I can see how if they just sprinkled it very lightly throughout, especially yeah, if you've got these characters who are genuinely like imposing and serious most of the time, mm. and then if you occasionally throw in a bit of a you know oh, fucking vampires kind of thing, like maybe that would be quite fun. Um, well, but the well, fact that it is yeah, like every other line, it kind of detracts from everything. I feel really. like I feel like maybe if it was just Trevor or mostly Trevor. Because I think that sort of that plays into his character mm. is that he is just done. He just doesn't give a fuck anymore. And now I'm doing it, you see. I need to tone down the swearing. Castlevania's getting to me. Trevor is just... Um, he he really just doesn't care about anything anymore. Or at least he didn't really care about anything before the start of the storyline. He's just going from town to town, killing vampires, killing monsters. And he's just really tired of it all. And he just wants to drink and sleep. Um, so from him, I can kind of see if he was just swearing like a sailor all the time. But again, it's these characters, it's these sort of important, it's, you know, death and these important vampires who are supposed to have gravitas and things like that. I don't remember. And I mean, this is going on to a different thing. I, one of the reasons that I stopped watching because I think when I finished the second season I think the third season was out but I didn't bother watching it because it's like well they defeated Dracula and Dracula is like you know the big boss enemy of pretty much every Castlevania game and also Dracula was just kind of he was a charismatic villain he was you know kind of he, he was not not relatable but he was sympathetic in some ways and he just I remember him having quite a cool voice, at least in Japanese. And then it's just like, well, Dracula's gone now. And I don't really know where the story is going. And the answer is not really anywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't don't really know what to say to that. It's true. (laughs) And, um, yeah, there there was... So again, to sort of go back to kind of the the Game of Thrones kind of feeling, the storyline sort of split in between a load of different characters, and some of which you just like really, I felt like I just didn't care about. There there was a whole plotline involving there's four uh, vampires who sort of the, the vampire sisters who run this sort of kingdom, I guess, between them, and um, they had one human guy who can make um make evil demon creatures with him and then there was another guy who made evil demon creatures who wanted to go and kill the other guy who made evil demon creatures and that whole kind of thing there was a lot of kind of it all this was a general feeling i had with the whole show is all everything always felt like it was going to build up to something and then it just kind of didn't And that whole that that whole plotline with all of the that that never met up with our main characters. It was just always just a completely separate thing, and with sort of almost no interaction between them. And I just felt like it. It, it really frustrated me because it's just like, what's the point of 
building up all these characters and building up these relationships and then it just it's just it's just gone and i felt like i'd never really got the payoff for any of it that i wanted yeah i think that's fair i mean at least the 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 hector and isaac uh storylines those being the humans who make the, the demon creatures um yes. i thought they were at least kind of like interesting to watch yeah um and there was like some some interesting interactions there but like yeah the the, the i guess the point of view sections like if, you, if you're using the kind of game of thrones parlance like with the, those two vampire sisters who are out like in the field or whatever like doing some generaling um like, oh, that was ab- so boring. Absolutely pointless as well. <laughs> like, no contribution to the story. The, 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 to be fair, there was one fight scene where the, the, the these two vampires are general ladies, and one of them is big and burly, and the other one is not. They needed to fight some dudes, and so the big burly one puts on some armor and goes out and just just fucks off a load of people. And I thought that was probably one of the better fight scenes in the show. It was pretty I had fun. A really good time yeah. with that. But yeah. And again, it's just this focus in on characters that I don't care about. And they have these incredibly long conversations, often just kind of repeating the same points over and over again. And there was another scene where um, there's this guy who's who basically, you know, he, he's, he spends about 10 minutes ranting about the fact that he's a sub-character. And he's like, why am I not important? Why am I not a main character in all this? And then he dies in like the next scene after this long monologue talking about how he's perfect and invincible and the best and he's a supreme vampire fighter and then he just dies. And I was like, I don't even know who you were. I can't remember your name. I, I was struggling to remember who you were actually talking about there until towards the end, which kind of says something, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, was there anything else you wanted to add there? I was just being going through my notes here. Well, I think we've kind of covered off kind of the mostly weak sort of story chops. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, just to... to, to cover sort of because I, I know we've been mostly talking about bad things there are some good things but maybe we'll sort of we'll get to those oh yeah i was i was going to launch in, into the good stuff afterwards which well, is... just before that yeah um so yeah um one of my biggest problems is that she doesn't really relate back to the games particularly well um i've not played like a lot of castlevania i've sort of played some bits and pieces but i'm sort of familiar with the games and I'm familiar with the the lore. And, I mean, the, the games, at least the sort of early ones, the storyline is not complicated. It's just like, here is a dude and he fights through the castle and defeats Dracula. And even some of the later games, that's still really all it is. It's just like, Dracula returned and we have to fight him again and fight through eight extreme levels of demons and monsters and yeah and i just feel like a lot of this a lot of the the politics and stuff and i mean a lot of the characters have just kind of been invented for the show and generally those characters are the ones that aren't very interesting so generally the the plot of this uh mostly draws on castlevania 3 which is where you get the sort of the three characters from who you can play as in um, in Castlevania Three, which is an NES game. 
but yeah again you know it just it feels like occasionally you'll see some of the night creatures and be like that's a thing or oh look he's got like the throwing cross thing that's like they have in the game that's so cool oh look he's throwing bottles of holy water but that kind of i think there's more of that early on and then yeah and i mean it's not just sort of it's i i don't want it to just be sort of fan service because then that sort of implies that any relation to the games is just fan service rather than you know actually it being an adaptation but the the biggest problem that i have is the music because castlevania has so much music that is just instantly recognizable just from like all the games I mean, even the ones on the NES just have so many just like tunes that are just bangers. And the later games, like Symphony of the Night, has one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. There's great music and Castlevania 1, 2, 3, 4, all those. I think there was one time at the end of Season 2 where they incorporated, I think it was Bloody Tears, which was kind of a cool scene. And I'm not sure, I don't notice anything other than that, but they didn't. There wasn't any other game music incorporated that I noticed personally. And I just feel like, like that's a real shame because especially the theme music, like the opening tune could just be the music to anything. Hmm. It's the most generic sort of rolling strings piece ever. And the credits music is just this generic, you know, Gregorian choir thing. And it's just... It really, I, I just feel like they could have just incorporated some of the motifs from the game music in that. I don't think it would have been distracting. I think there's enough of a breadth of musical genres within the Castlevania music uh, that's available to draw from. And it's just, I, I can't believe that licensing would be an issue either, because if they're licensing all the characters and all of the designs and everything like that, I don't see why they couldn't get all the music. If they can get it in Super Smash Brothers, they can get it in the show that's called Castlevania. Yeah, I, I wonder whether though, whether there might have been like a bit of a mismatch in that, like the show itself. Sorry, I'm possibly going to sneeze in a second. <laughs> um, the show itself. Understandable doesn't like uh yeah the, the tone's like slightly different it's a bit more like muted and i feel like maybe if you applied the kind of great soundtrack from the games like whether almost sort of like what you're watching doesn't quite match up to it i don't know it's kind of vague well, feeling when they did incorporate music in the one scene that i can remember it was in a sort of big action scene and I feel like, you know, I, do, I wouldn't mind if it was just in the big action scenes where they incorporated the music because it's sort of, it's the kind of tunes that sort of get you pumped up. So I would love to have seen more of that. But yeah, again, it was just sort of the, it, the, they just felt like they sort of, they wanted to start, use the games as like a starting point And then they pulled away from that almost as quickly as they could, it felt to me. But anyway, we should get on some positive points. I, want, I wanted to do a last negative point <laughs> before <laughs> we do that, um, which is quite a crucial one. Which, which is piling on. Yeah, it's just piling on. Like, when I came into this conversation, I was planning on being far more positive, but, you know, like, now we're here. Let's uh, just get it all out. So, I mean, yeah, quite vitally, I think the um, finale of the show was, like, pretty terrible <laughs> um, in the sense that uh, it does a very classic thing of having 
like everything that's building up to like this grand finale big climactic fight with death as ben says like massive final boss fight etc um happens in the penultimate episode um and then like the final episode which is obviously you know the same length as all the others is like the the aftermath and the, the mop up um and like the mourning uh of like what's been lost and like hope for the future kind of stuff um and I mean that's all you know. It's all well and good, fine. Like it's, it's it's quite a done thing. But they also did the very tropey thing of uh, bringing back the character who like very dramatically died in the climactic boss fight, um, mm. but for for no real good reason apart from you know like happily ever after kind of thing. And it just completely sucks all of the tension and like all of the stakes out of like everything that's been happening. No, no stake pun intended. Um, hey. And yeah, it just, it just felt so lame. Like, especially when this they've kind of tried to build this universe up as like really sort of brutal and unforgiving and bloody, and then it's just like actually no, everyone can go on living and everything's fine um, because magic yeah. or something. I mean, especially the way that I mean, Trevor in the last fight was really kind of they were clearly showing him like getting smacked around and his bones were like broken and that he was just like okay you know this is the kind of thing you don't recover from at this point and it's just like no he's fine he just rode in a horse for like two months or something pulled an Aragorn basically <laughs> yeah I don't know it's just I, I I agree with that except I would say that the whole kind of the fight with death I feel like was just kind of pulled out of pulled out of their ass a bit i felt like that so but basically it's shown in the final episode that um one of the characters who we've been sort of seeing all the way through this season was was actually death the whole time death being sort of like some kind of super primordial vampire rather than like the literal actual grim reaper but he sort of also is the literal grim reaper they really, really didn't explain it very well they tried to a couple of times and it didn't land I mean, it, it is always kind of a funny thing in the games where it's just like, wow, how come the literal Grim Reaper, like, answers to Dracula? Dracula must be, like, really, really bad. Um, but yeah, and then it also turned out that he was this... He, he, he was basically... It, he'd had two disguises over the course of the show, one of whom was a crazy witch lady who lives in the Infinite Corridor. And we haven't even talked about the Infinite Corridor, but... That's not. That's not. Um, and the other was this Cockney vampire who basically spent the whole time complaining about how no one knew who he was, which I guess was foreshadowing. Um, and it's just like I feel like this. It feels to me sort of almost like intention should have been that that it was just the the witch in the infinite corridor who was actually death. But because they only had one scene showing her, that wouldn't have felt like she was pulling the strings behind the scenes the whole time. But also it didn't really feel like she he was pulling the strings behind the scenes the whole time. It just felt like he was just like blundering through everything. So, I don't know, I just felt if they, if they made it a bit more... Subtle? <laughs> yeah, or, or just like sort of made it so... So it sort of felt a bit more manipulative, but no, yeah. it just sort of it it all just kind of felt like it kind of accidentally came together. It was very abrupt, yeah, <laughs> in that sort of penultimate episode, um, and like the whole <laughs> again, like we've already said, loads of spoilers. So 
like the fact that this whole plot to resurrect Dracula, which had been the kind of driving force of the last, you know, half of mm. the episodes, like kind of culminates, and they they bring Dracula and his wife back into this, yeah, like homunculusy thing, and then just like immediately discard them. <laughs> like it was a massive anticlimax. I mean, I it's probably they were trying to go for a bait and switch or something there, but like, yeah, it just felt really weird. It's like this is what the show's been building up to the whole time. Um, actually kind of scratch that here's a surprise appearance of death instead now you can fight him um mm. yeah it's, it's a bit odd and it, it did sort of because again you know the, this show it just feels like a struggle to really find its direction they killed off track i think at the end of the second season i was like did they just kill dracula like what what, what happens now what are they gonna do it's just and i mean that so that there's been this whole part of like trying to resurrect Dracula, but it was quite clear, I think, when they killed Dracula that, you know, he was pretty much happy to be dead. He was, yeah. He's like, you know what, I'm okay with this. It's like he's not really gonna want to be resurrected. He doesn't want to come back. So the kind of the stakes there is just like it's not like, oh god, where well, they're gonna resurrect Dracula and he's gonna murder everyone. It's just like, what's even gonna happen if they resurrect Dracula? Cause he's just gonna be really angry with them for bringing him back. So yeah, I uh Yeah. yeah. So, well, I, one thing I did want to say just on the subject and this is just a general kind of meta thing on the subject of those epilogue episodes. I've always thought that's kind of annoying where you get a show that finishes the big fight in the penultimate episode and then just has an entire epilogue episode. Because the entire epilogue episode is always just ends up being a little bit too drawn out. And yep. there's kind of no stakes to keep you going anymore. The perfect thing to me is to basically have, like, the, the fight sort of cuts off at, like, a big point in the penultimate episode. And then, like, maybe the first third of the final episode is the culmination of the big fight. And then you have your epilogue. Or maybe, like, the first half, depending on how long you need. That, to me, is, like, perfect. Yeah, that's basically what I was thinking as well. Um, it just doesn't doesn't feel good, you know. Mm. Anyway, hey, maybe some positives. Maybe we should talk some about positives. some positives. Um, which for me, and I mean, like maybe it's the one redeeming feature, depending on who you talk to. Um, it's all about the action, really. Like, the, yeah, the spectacle of this season is like beyond everything they've done before. Like, the action was seriously kick-ass obviously they've got a reasonable amount of budget that they've poured into this based on the previous seasons and so the animation is like pretty stellar for like what it is and the style mm. they're going for um and like for me um like as i say like the animation is incredible but like even more important is like the action direction um which like is kind of sometimes ignored <laughs> to an extent mm. in some of these kind of shows um but like the choreography is like really impressive and they've taken these characters and like they've really kind of created like fighting styles for them and like really experimented and played around with the, like the interplay between these characters who are working as a team so like particularly like trevor and cypher who are like sort of often fighting back to back and they've created these incredible like collaborative moves or like they bounce off each other and in, in the heat of combat and like it feels like super natural and super slick and it looks really cool on screen um and like they make the most of like cypher's sort of ice and fire powers and like it looks really really funky um 
And like even the the villains like get kind of good attention. There, there was one bit that stood out to me. I think again it was like in that sort of uh, penultimate episode where they're, they're having this kind of big dramatic battle, and like there was even just like a bunch of completely throwaway villains that you know that kind of get disposed of within a couple of minutes, and you always know they're going to get disposed of because like they're nobodies, but like. They all have like really distinct kind of fighting styles and like really cool like sort of visual effects. And there's this like one kind of like random Viking vampire guy who had like the pair of like axes throwing that axes. he could teleport to, yeah, that he was yeah. throwing around. And like it looks incredible. And he was like fighting with them like quite cleverly. But then yeah, like off he goes. <laughs> that was just like a twenty second I, scene or whatever. Um, I did feel like, I mean, now I'm just getting back to criticism again. I felt like a lot of those characters, I wanted those fights to be more fleshed out. Like, mm. I was like, these seem like cooler characters yeah. than all these other ones we've been spending time with. Why can't we learn more about these people? And again, I mean, I don't know enough about it, but some of those characters probably are just like, you know, there, there are some characters who are just like, wow, that's like one of the bosses from the game mm. or something. And that's always quite cool. And usually, actually, they're, they're like visually spot on, particularly some of the, the sort of night creatures and things. I did feel like the night creatures got a little bit seamy after a while. Mm. I mean, well, which yeah, is weird because they're they're very diverse, but also somehow samey. Yeah, well, they, they they literally show like especially when like a big army of them get together, like they're made in like a template. So there are mm. tons who are basically the exact same type of night creature. Um, so there, there were like four archetypes that just kept kind of coming back over and over again. Um, yeah, the I, felt, I I agree that the the action animation was really good. I felt like I, I mean may, maybe this was more true in the third season, but some of the the animation out of the action felt a bit odd to me. Like again, I think this sort of this this uh, matches in with the stilted dialogue a bit. Sometimes you just have conversations, and the characters were just kind of sort of expressionless and not moving that much and i just i i i wanted like a little bit more character to the way that they they just sort of did their their sort of normal talking and basic interactions and there was a few kind of things where some angles looked a bit odd but like you said i mean i think they did kind of throw a lot of money at the the action and i thought that was the the action was generally pretty good yeah i did it is like a fairly hefty part of the show as well. Obviously, like I mean, we, we we've in our criticisms we focused a lot on like the talky bits <laughs> and that kind of stuff, but like it is like a serious part of the show, and it's like would mm. watch it effectively just for that, probably repeatedly. Like it's very cool. Did you ever feel like the action got a bit sort of repetitive or samey at all? Um, like. A couple of times I started remarking that, <laughs> but then it would kind of sort of throw a twist and, like, you know, keep surprising me. Obviously, I... there's only so many things that Belmont can do with his, like, chain whip or uh, Cypher can do with her ice shards or whatever. I... But, like, they did they did keep mixing up and throw something new in every different fight and, like, See, doing things that seem quite yeah. clever for each of the characters. I feel like Cypher's thing, they just sort of... I. She, she occasionally did some cool stuff and then I was like okay you know actually I've seen you like stab a guy make a big icicle and stab a guy with it before and then I mean it, there was a thing where um, I I, th- I think some of it was just sort of, I got a bit uh, what's the word 
sort of, I had some sort of fatigue in those last couple of episodes, which we were kind of again just watching back to back because you know why wouldn't you if you can? Um, and yeah, just like this, the the fight just sort of keeps going, and eventually it's like, oh my god, I'm exhausted. And that's sort of to make a meta comment there. These characters, part of the point is that Cypher and Trevor are like completely exhausted because they've been fighting solidly for like two months. And they have this big fight where they're just kind of clearly just running out of energy. And then they get to Dracula's castle and suddenly they've got all this energy, all these crazy moves they couldn't do before. And they're just like, this is, this is bullshit. Where are you getting all this energy from? You couldn't do this before. It's adrenaline. That's what it is. Um... You're telling me they didn't have adrenaline before. They were just like lazily, just like, yeah, I'll just kill these guys, whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, what was I going to say? I think, yeah, that probably again to like call out the sort of climax bit. The the actual action against the fight against death, basically Trevor versus death, was like a bit silly. <laughs> I mean, as you might always expect with him, like fighting, you know, giant skeleton Grim Reaper man. But, like, mm. it was reasonably well animated from memory of him kind of, you know, like, flying around and doing his whippy stuff, etc. But, like, <laughs> just looking at it, you know that he's not actually going to do any real damage to this thing <laughs> by just, like, smacking it with a chain. And, like, obviously he has his, like, holy... Magic MacGuffin. Magic MacGuffin holy throwing cross thing. But, like, yeah, it, oh, it, he, it just looked he, he like did... an insect, like, buzzing around. He... He didn't have the magic MacGuffin. He didn't have the th- the Holy Cross at that point. He'd broken it. He broke it when he threw it at, at not Dracula. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But he did just have a magic MacGuffin, which he just kind of found the bits of, just kind of by accident, which was oh, a yes, bit it was of bullshit. Oh, yes, the other magic MacGuffin, yeah. <laughs> the, the magic dagger MacGuffin. And, I mean, that's also another thing. It's just, like, people don't really deliberately find anything it's just like oh i just happened to come across this magic mcguffin this will sort everything out later on it was yeah it was so stupid like it was only in episode like two or three or something where he's yeah rummaging around in the sewers he's like oh i've come across this interesting thing maybe that'll be helpful later and then it's never referenced again until the end of the show he, where it's he, like he, suddenly he, i need it to kill death he, he was just randomly like robbing a corpse and just found the stone and i mean you don't ever see him like rifling through corpses before then it was just this one guy yeah. who's like hmm that corpse looks plot convenient oh. so yeah again i just feel like the the overall writing just felt it felt a bit immature it felt like it was sort of written by someone who doesn't have that much experience of writing mm-hmm. and again they wanted it to be sort of edgy yeah, I don't but... know why they keep going for this tone. I don't know if it's just because they're like, trying to justify to people, like, you're an adult, but you're allowed to watch this cartoon because it's grown up, and like you don't have to worry about it or something. Um... But that's exactly the kind of thing that makes it appeal to teenagers, yes. but not to actual adults. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I wanted to like bring into the discussion just like a random side note. Because um, I mentioned, yeah, like other like dubs and things do this for like Japanese shows, and uh, our friend of the pod, Gibson, has been watching the Kuroko no Basuke, uh dub that's come to Netflix. Um, and, like, just just an example of this uh, that he told me about. I haven't watched it in the dub. I've tried it a couple of times and just, like, it's, it's horrible. Um, is, like, there's just a sequence where someone's, like, you know, some people are trying to convince this guy to play basketball. He's like, no, I'm done. 
like leave me alone like that's basically what he says in the Japanese dub and then in the English dub he says have fun playing with your leathery balls losers <laughs> and it's like what, what? <laughs> why are you doing this okay is that Hayazaki um, no, it's, it's Hugo, the captain, in like his oh. like delinquent face when he's got his bleach blonde hair in the flashbacks. Um, Amazing. But, God. Yeah, it's, it's, it's big leathery balls energy. That's what I got from the, from the script for, for, for Castlevania as well. It's just like, uh, yeah. Man, that's, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I just wait, wanted wait. to set that in there. We're going to be talking a bit about about dubs later, potentially. So, um, why don't we uh, leave Castlevania behind? I us? mean, should sh- should we just like give like an overall like rating? Do we do that? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> just just like because I mean, we've said a lot of negative things and some positive things. What were your kind of overall thoughts? What's your your temperature? <laughs> My temperature, as you check. said to me the other day. So. For Castlevania, I'm going to say about Season 4 specifically, because, yeah, I don't feel really equipped to talk about the previous ones at this point. Um, Despite the fact that, obviously, we've been picking it apart a lot, and I think it is important to recognise its flaws, um, I, like, would genuinely really recommend it to, like, fans of action um, and just, like, kind of shounen anime shows, I guess. Um, Like, I really enjoyed watching all the fight scenes, and it's possible I might even, like, rewatch it again for all of those. Um... It's just like a pretty wild ride. It's not too long. Obviously, you can binge it all uh, on Netflix. Um, yeah, like I, I, I had like quite a positive feelings coming away from it, um, despite its its flaws. Uh, basically, just like the high octane, adrenaline filled action, like can help you ignore those. I, do, I suppose. I do wonder if I'd have more positive feelings towards it if I'd watched it in Japanese, which, as I said, I did do for the first two seasons, and then didn't for the the latter two it's very possible like i i did write down at some point that yeah watching it in japanese with the english subtitles of the english script like Mm. might be kind of the best experience for it um because like the annoying bits of the english script (laughs) and like all the swearing nonsense like uh that doesn't grate on you as much obviously and you Mm. you don't have to hear those performances but like where the writing's a bit more clever or like the wordplay is like more related to English or whatever and that kind of comes through you get you get the good bits of the writing as well mm. um, and it was also kind of just interesting to hear kind of the, how the interactions play out in Japanese as well and it helps if you can understand a bit of it I suppose so I think that sounds like we'd recommend watching in Japanese which might sound weird but it's good but entirely predictable yeah <laughs> um, yeah so, I mean, sorry, just one more thing on this. The way that it sort of ended, it sort of felt conclusive, but then again, at the end of season two, it also felt kind of conclusive. So I'm not sure how they're angling this in terms of anything going forwards. I mean, if it makes money, I'm sure they'll decide to make more of it. I was half expecting. So at the end, in the last episode, it turns out that Cypher is pregnant. And I thought there was going to be a whole scene of like, what do we name the baby? And it's like, I'm going to call him Simon. Uh-huh. And then I was like, and then everyone's going to go, wah, wah. crowd goes wild, but they didn't do that. Um, well, all they did was say, don't call him Treffer a million times. 
Yeah, I don't remember why that was a thing. Yeah, I, I assumed it was a callback to a joke in a previous season, which I have a very like half-baked memory of. Um, I mean, it must have been like at least a couple of seasons. Yeah, I think it might have been seasons. I would have known about it. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they made more, but I think they have again, I'm not really sure what I, they're going to do with it. I think they've explicitly stated this is the final season. Um, but yeah, I also likewise would not be surprised if they do more. I mean, um, how many authors have you known who've like written a trilogy of books yeah. and like ah, I made a lot of money with those three. Yeah, I should write another one. It's the, it's the classic Netflix thing, like you know, oh, you know, final seasons coming, final seasons are now, and then yeah, like a year later, it's like we return to Castlevania, presumably with a brand new set of characters at this point. Yeah, it I might, mean, might I, be I, the that, next that, generation with yeah. The kid I was going to say that it does feel like they're sort of with the whole baby thing. It's going to be funny if they're just like, here's the next generation, and Alucard's still here because he's immortal. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Um, so, but um, you do wonder what they're going to do with it, you know, having killed Dracula several times, and uh, also death, I guess. Mm, yeah, kind of the, the big bads are sort of gone there. Oh well. Maybe they'll do like a spin-off series where they're like building up the town of Belmont, uh, and you know, like Trevor's learning to be a, a school teacher, and um, <laughs> it's just you know, like daily life stuff. That'd be fun. Yeah, ca- Castlevania slice of like chibi Castlevania. It'd be like da- daily meals with the Emir family or whatever, but like in the Castlevania universe. Yeah, today we're going to be learning how to cook night creature carcass. <laughs> First, you tear off its limbs using your brute strength. On that note. <laughs> on that note. Um... So yeah, I, I, to give my final rating, I did know. I, I I was. Kind of, I came out pretty lukewarm. I probably, I, I didn't mind watching it. I probably wouldn't watch it again. Maybe it'd be better if I'd watched it. I did remember quite enjoy. I think the first two seasons. It's just the, the these last two have just kind of, just felt like they just didn't go anywhere for me. So, me. That's my my you heard one it word here summary. Strokes. It was me, not near. There's an M. So do you want to tell us about uh, a, a game you've been playing recently, Ben? So I've been playing through Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And if you know me, which you probably do if you listen to this podcast, because, you know, there's like three people who listen. There are actually probably more than that. Anyway, if you, if you don't know me, um, I have a storied... Uh, storied history with Xenoblade Chronicles and that I own every single Xenoblade Chronicles game and I've always just like played about 10 minutes of them and gone wow this game is stupid and then stopped. I played Xenoblade Chronicles I, I, I actually downloaded the, the original game on the Wii U like not virtual console but i downloaded the wii game on the wii u and play that for a bit and i can't remember why but i couldn't really get into it um i bought xenoblade chronicles x on the wii u and played that for literally five minutes realized that there was no option for japanese voices and just threw the whole thing in the trash i was like no i'm not playing this um because 
I don't know. I just find I games, particularly sort of JRPGs and things like that, was a lot of like dialogue. I just find that I can't play them. I I probably could play them with um with English voice acting, but I just really find it very off putting. And it just it, it's a deal breaker for me. And I really wish there. It really annoys me how there's some games where they'll have they're very inconsistent about whether they'll have Japanese voices in. I think these days where like there's, you know, loads of st- storage space that are premium is not at premium anymore. It's mostly common, but like Fire Emblem Awakening had Japanese voice acting. Fire Emblem Fates did not. And I didn't realize this when I bought Fire Emblem Fates. And I spent like five minutes, oh, not five minutes, like half an hour looking around in the settings, being like, where's the option? What am I missing here? Why would you do this to me, Nintendo? We all went through that roller coaster. And then, you know, Googling it and being like, why? Why? Anyway. So then when the Switch came out, I got my Switch, and then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 came out, and I was like, this is going to be the one, this is going to be the one I'll actually play. And I bought Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I got further into it than I have in any other Xenoblade Chronicles game. I think I played, like, 10 hours or so, which, you know, in a true modern JRPG fashion is about enough time to get through about two-thirds of the tutorial. And then I just kind of gave up because I wasn't really feeling it. And it's been one of those games that sat in my, I'm going to come back to this pile, which usually is, you know, like a graveyard. But for this one, for whatever reason, and I'm this is again topical because Pyra and Mithra, who are from the game, are in Super Smash Brothers now. And I don't really know if it was that, because I wasn't really paying attention to that. I didn't watch any of the announcements or anything. Oh, I watched the announcement, but I didn't watch any of the showcase or anything like that. But maybe subconsciously it got into my head. And there was just one rainy day where I was like, I need to play a game. And I feel like playing something sort of single player and slower. So I pulled out Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and I played it again. And yeah, and then like 115 hours later, I beat the game. And that's still kind of surprising to me. So, um, yeah. I mean, I'll just sort of start with a quick overview. Basically, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is a game made by Monolith Soft, who have pretty much always worked on the, the Xeno games. If you ever played Xeno Gears on the PlayStation or Xeno something else, there was another Xeno series that was on, like, the PlayStation 2. And then Monolith Soft was bought by Nintendo and has been working for them as a sort of subsidiary, and they made um, Xenoblade Chronicles and... And Xenoblade Chronicles X, and Xenoblade Chronicles Two, and um, one of the stuff to also work on other games. They sort of worked with Nintendo on making Breath of the Wild as well. In case you, so they, they, they've got a good pedigree to them, and um, yeah, this is a sort of a, a JRP, a modern JRPG. It's sort of an action, sort of combat, sort of MMO style combat thing. And the story is that there's, you, you, this is a world where like people live on the backs of giant creatures that live in a giant cloud sea, and the only land that you can live on is in the back of these things. And these are like huge, so like the size of each of them, the big ones is like a whole country, 
and basically this boy finds this he, he he's just you know living his life and some cataclysmic event happens and he finds this big titty girl called pyra and uh she's just like take me to elysium and he's like sure and they have wacky adventures and it goes on from there and it's like the, the storyline particularly for the first and th- this is again the problem with 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 this game is that the first the first kind of I don't know, 10 hours or something of the experience are just not very good. Like, the story isn't very interesting. The characters are kind of annoying. The combat doesn't really make sense. Nothing really quite clicks. And I'd seen so many comments from people saying, you just need to, like, play up to a point and it'll click and it'll work and it'll make sense. And I was just like, it's just, it's not happening for me. Or it didn't happen for me. But somehow... The the tutorials that you get for the combat and things and all the systems, which are really overly complex, by the time you actually to need... It'll tell you something, and then you'll immediately forget it. And by the time you actually need to know it, you'll have already forgotten it. So having played through the first however much it was of the game and then coming back and playing it again, I had enough residual memory that then I could all the systems were suddenly starting to make more sense to me. I was like, I already kind of know how this works. And because I kind of know how this works, suddenly everything's falling into place a bit more. And I could, because the systems are making more sense, it let me ignore the storyline a bit more. And um, overall, yeah, it just sort of, it just kept going. And I sort of, I just couldn't stop playing it, which was odd to me. Because I'm now going to run through a whole slew of things that I didn't like about it at all. In classic, so, odd fashion. So, um, yeah, the the character designs are kind of interesting. A lot of them are sort of, some of them are really interesting. Some of them are really generic. You get these sort of things called blades. So. Blades are complicated to explain. So instead of getting weapons, imagine if like all of your weapons had like a an anime waifu attached to them, or may if not like a waifu, then some kind of you know anime mascot. So you like you summon a blade, and then that blade has a weapon, and then that's sort of also like your partner in combat for your characters. It's it's a hard concept to explain, but just sort of, and it, it, it's again initially one of those things that just seems very complicated when you start playing the game, but eventually it makes more sense. And um, but it, it, they sort of they facilitate sort of the gacha element of the game, so you have to basically go through this thing to get these blades and unlock rare ones, and the rare ones have sort of famous voice actors and um, art by... I'm not actually sure if the artists are particularly famous, but there's a lot of varying art styles, and sometimes they don't all quite mesh together. The main characters are all... uh, are all designed, and sort of main blades are all designed by the same guy. And then a lot of the rare ones are designed by other random people and look a bit odd. And then there's sort of this antagonistic faction called Torna, and all of those characters are designed by Tetsuya Nomura, which kind of makes them all look a bit like Kingdom Hearts rejects <laughs> because they kind of are. And yeah, the art styles are sometimes a bit jarring 
and don't quite mesh because it's not like these people are like different races or anything. There's with, with the with the the blades, they're all sort of wacky, but yeah. And then you've got Pyra, who is um, who actually I, I I had way more of a problem with Pyra's appearance when I first started playing the game because you're just like you've got all these characters having like a serious conversation, and then you've got this person who basically looks like a blow up sex doll just standing there with this vapid expression, just going, oh, I don't know what's going on here. Ah, the JRPG syndrome. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that, I mean, you get this in anime. This, this show, this game very much wants to be an anime, and it's very much like paced like that, and the plot is like that. And it's one of those things where a lot of like the terrible fan service stuff is right near the beginning, and then actually it's a tails off and it isn't as bad. And once you unlock Mithra, who is the blonde version of Pyra, she's actually way less obnoxious. And somehow, like, th this was going to be one of my big main complaints with the game. And um, it actually got better. Yeah. So, um, the story, I mean, I said, went over it briefly, but it's, like, mostly just kind of dumb anime schlock and cringy shonen nonsense and some of it, especially near the beginning, it's kind of boring. Rex, who's our hero, is just like really insufferable, at least near the beginning. He's sort of, there's one scene where he's like facing off against this, this really, this like strong antagonist guy. And he like three times in the space of about five minutes in a cut scene, he picks up his sword and runs at the guy going, ah, <laughs> and gets knocked on his ass. And then he runs at him like a minute later and gets knocked on his ass. And it just keeps happening. I'm like, Rex, just stay down. Sort your life out. Just... <sighs> That's another very JRPG trope. <laughs> and then he... There's sort of there's one point where he just sort of... He just switches and suddenly he's, you know... Not quite so cool and capable, but it's very like sudden. It doesn't really feel like an organic development. Um, but yeah, and then you know other dialogue. You get sort of again. It's like it sort of plays out like a single player MMO in a lot of ways. A lot of the quests are just kind of fetch quests, and outside of cutscenes, the dialogue isn't voiced, which is probably a good thing. But um, it's also got that thing where if you play it in Japanese, the uh, the language, the, the subtitles match what the English dialogue was. Right. Like what right. you're saying in Castlevania. Except one thing that really throws you off is that most of the names of, or, or like the proper nouns of anything have changed <clears throat> from the Japanese version. So they'll be talking about some character and you're just like, who... And, and you'll hear, like, the Japanese name, and it won't bear any relation to the English names. And, I mean, to be fair, I think the... As I understand it, the, the English voice acting is kind of hit and miss. I've played it in Japanese, naturally. Um, but there's some kind of... There's some cool things, like... Um, Xenoblade, since... Xenoblade Chronicles, which was originally localized in Europe rather than being localized in the US, meant that it had sort of British and European voice actors in it rather than American ones. And they've kind of kept that going with this. So one of the characters, it has a Welsh accent, which is kind of cool because it's just like, when do you hear Welsh accents in video games? And actually one of the um, 
one of the countries I mean that again they've like changed all the names or everything but all the names have now had this sort of Welsh Gaelic theme going on <clears throat> and there's some other stuff like that where you know I can tell they've like taken a lot of care with the localization and they've taken time to come up with some cool ideas it's just different from whatever they're saying in Japanese and sometimes like someone will say something and it's just like this is just completely different so um and as I said they do have a lot of like famous voice actors in it and especially for the blades you like unlock a new blade and you're like wow this is a haughty prince voiced by Miano Mamoru or like <laughs> this is Hikasa Yoko or this is there's some like giant spherical monster eating thing that's voiced by Aya Hirano, which is just hilarious. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, um, so I was all ready to just like beat on the story because I was just like deliberately doing side quests and putting off doing the main story because I thought the cutscenes were so stupid. And then it sort of got really good. And especially near the end, like the once it sort of starts, it's one of those things where the, the story around the characters the sort of the, the main characters is kind of bad and I don't really care about it but as soon as the story goes out the world building and like the general plot and other sort of more historic things going on just like this is really cool I'm really invested in this and that was especially near the end like <clears throat> again you know in true like JRPG fashion near sort of the final chapter everything just goes fucking nuts yeah. like it just goes completely off the wall and it's like Okay, this is this is happening now. Um, so yeah, that was that was unexpectedly cool, and um, yeah, um, I, I was really like quite surprised by how sad I was when it ended. Wow! Like when I got to the end of the story, I was just like, "Damn, I'm like, I just feel empty inside now. What am I going to do?" I mean, there's still loads more stuff and um, side quests and post-game content to do but yeah and um i mean i haven't really talked about gameplay and systems yet but i and you know i'm, I'm aware that you don't have a lot to say on this so we'll kind of sort of try and buzz through this a bit but again it's sort of it's mmo style gameplay and you sort of there's a lot of combo oriented stuff where everything has elements and you kind of use different things and they work in different ways and combine together which would be pretty cool, except you only control one character at once. And you can't, like, change between characters in combat like you can do with some of these things. You can only play one character. And that character can change cycle between three blades. But you're always relying on your teammates to do stuff. And you can only give them very vague commands about what you want them to do. You can basically, like, tell them to use a special attack, and that's it. So sometimes just, like... Rex, are you going to use your, your volcano? Are you going to use your earth attack now? It's like, no, no, no. I'm going to switch to wind. It's like, we, we need we need an earth attack, Rex. It's like, no, wind. It's like, the gauge is running out. I really need this earth attack. It's like, nah, nah, mate, sorry. And that's that's frustrating. And it's one of those things that really annoys me about modern JRPGs is this whole sort of move towards action-oriented things where you're in a group but you can only control one person at a time and everyone else is just AI and I don't know it I, just I it's like okay wanted... if you if you actually have like some control over what they do in terms of like programming their responses yeah or, like, telling them but, to use certain things 
but it's sort of it's when it's like it just feels like you're sort of rather than have planning out this sort of grand strategy it just sort of feels like you're just hoping that what happens and it's not like you know it's not like the enemies have random things that they're doing that you can't predict it's just like hoping your team actually does the things that you that um that you want them to do i mean it's not a particularly difficult game i really didn't feel like i was doing that much grinding or side questing and i was still about I still just breezed through basically all the battles with no problem on the normal difficulty. I think you can play it on easy as well. Um, the gameplay always feels like very disconnected from the story. So there's like multiple times over the course of the game, there'll be the old trope where you have a big battle in a cutscene and you completely whoop this guy's ass and then the cutscene you're like, ha ha and then you're like, Oh, this guy's too strong, we've been defeated. Ah. It's like No, I was kicking this guy's ass. I don't understand. And there's just there's always this this disconnect. Um you've played Final Fantasy four slash two, right? I've played some of it. I've not played that much of it. Did you ever get to the bit with the wall boss? No, I didn't think so. Okay, so there's a bit in Final Fantasy IV where you're like in this cave or something, and there's basically you get tricked by by Kane because you're always getting tricked by Kane because he's like, "Haha, I've betrayed you because I'm a dragoon," because that's what he always does. Because fucking Kane. Anyway, there's this um, basically this demon wall coming towards you. And you, you get into a fight, and there's just, this is like big wall sprite that's just sort of steadily moving towards you, and you've got to defeat it before it like crushes you, mm. otherwise you lose instantly. It's just like instant game over, and it's like a really intense fight because it's it, like you have to do a lot of damage to this to this wall, um, and it's time constrained, and everything just feels like really intense, and it's just sort of like it's a very good integration of like the game and the battle system sort of working as one and this just sort of completely misses that it's just like you have these cutscenes going on where everyone's just like someone will be like oh we need to go and have a battle and then you'll have you know the actual battle where you're doing something and then after that they'll just like everyone will go oh yeah cool and just like that the enemy will like sit down or something like uh and then after that, it'll go into a cutscene, and then the real battle will happen, and there'll be a big fight, and then we will be defeated. And I was like, was there any point in me doing my bit? Because it just felt like it was an interlude rather than yeah. anything necessary. So, yeah. So just just to run through a few more negative things, the systems are stupid. The system, and again, this is another thing with common with modern jrpgs the systems are really like overly ridiculous there's like it this game starts out being like this is blades and this is how they all work and then it introduces poppy who's this like artificial blade and it's like this works completely differently and you have to play this 8-bit mini game over and over and over to get parts if you want to use her wow. and it's just like hey you should do all these combos using all these elements but you're only allowed to use two blades at a time at the moment because we're artificially restricting you until later on when we're not and <clears throat> you have to have this one person in your team who can only use one blade and then he's only got one element and there's just other things it's just like 
yeah there's so many things where it's just like here's all these systems and all these ways that you can use them but we don't want you to use them we're gonna like make it so that it's very difficult to actually play everything the way you want to it's like yeah you can play as any character but if you're not playing as rex as the main character then you're basically you know screwing yourself over and not being able to access half the mechanics i like playing as as the welsh cat girl which because i don't know she was just like the least annoying character and also like i unlocked more of the and you get this the, the, the whole gacha system like so you you unlock a blade that has a particular element and class, like an attacker or a healer or a defender tank thing. But you've got when you you've got you can you have to pick a character that then that blade is then permanently bonded to. So you just this you have a character and then you, you just sort of throw something at them and you sort of once that once they get this blade, you can't you can't swap it onto anyone else. It's not like weapons that you can swap around. It's permanently bonded, so it's just like you can't really build a class of that. that you can't really build someone sort of into being sort of tank main because you've got no control over it. There are some items you can use to swap blades, but there's like five of them in the entire game, and you really feel like you shouldn't be using them. So, and again, the AI will just be like tanking happily, and then they'll say, "I'm going to switch to my glass cannon attacker person and just get decimated." And it's like, "What are you doing?" What, why would you do this? Uh, it's it's really it's really just frustrating. And there's loads of things that there's sorts of features that I just felt like I was never using in systems where you have to like they just feel needlessly complicated. But the thing that like absolutely drove the game forward and made it all work to me was the the world and the music. So the world design is fabulous. Like the character designs are near me iffy, but the world design is absolutely gorgeous. Like the the environments are just really cool, they're really well designed, they just feel atmospheric, they feel like real places. They're sometimes like so big in that that, that you get you get fast travel options, which feels like almost too convenient a lot of the times, because you can just go somewhere without any restrictions. Like you you'll you'll be like literally any time you can fast travel to anywhere else, which always feels a bit odd. It's just like we need we're in the middle of this climax. It's like now nah, I'm just gonna go over here and to a different part of the world and do some side quests. Sometimes you do have to do because I guess they don't want to like soft lock you um, if you're under leveled or something. But yeah, it's just. That, that I, I felt like I wanted, like, you, you can either walk to places or you can fast travel. And sometimes I wanted, like, some way of just moving around quickly, like a mount or something, or ability to fly. Or, I think in Xenoblade Chronicles X, you had a giant mech, yes. which would have been cool. Um, but yeah, the, the environment is, the environment's really cool. Unfortunately, the game can't quite keep up with it. Technically, it chugs a lot, a lot of dy dynamic frame rates, a lot of blurriness, a lot of low... Dynamic resolution, sorry, not dynamic frame rates. Although the frame rates are also dynamic. A lot of dynamics. Um, so that's a bit annoying. It, it's more problematic in some areas than others. And the music is just... Ooh. Chef's kiss like, for those who can't see the uh, video feed. Yes. Um, so it's directed by Yasunori Mitsuda, who's one of my favorite composers ever. 
he did the music to Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, and also the original Xeno Gears. So he's been sort of in, involved in the Xeno series. He didn't do music for... He, he did the ending theme for Xenoblade Chronicles 1. But in this one, he sort of... He directed the music. He composed a lot of the... Um, the sort of cutscene and story music. And then they've also got the team who worked on Xenoblade Chronicles 1 who were doing sort of a lot of the battle and environment music. The battle music I'm lukewarm on. I think battle music is very hard to write for JRPGs. Really, I don't know, Final Fantasy is really one of the only games I can think of where I'd actually really want to listen to the battle music that much. Um, but yeah, the it's just there's just so many tracks that are just really like there's one track which i really like which is just in this area that you go to once right at the beginning of the game it's one of the only areas you can't return to and it's just such a such a big tune and uh, just like and it's just there's just so much music there's very rarely tracks reused and um yeah it just all just comes together really well and I, the music was really one of the things that actually made me come back to the game because i remember playing it and just being like i could just play through all this just for the music but um I, it wasn't quite grabbing me enough but yeah, that, that's probably most of the reason why i came back to it <laughs> it's really good music fair enough what can i say so yeah i mean even if you just want to listen to the soundtrack um it's definitely recommended but overall, it's just like, I've said a lot of negative things, but it, it definitely felt like way more than the sum of its parts. Um, like, individually, loads of stuff was really annoying and tedious, but somehow I just, maybe it's just the game I need right now, because I've been playing a lot of sort of twitchy, action-y things like Hades and Splatoon. Um, so yeah, it was about 110 hours for my playthrough with a fair amount of side questing. So you could probably do that in less time. And it's I'm still playing through a lot of the side quests and other things. But it's renewed my interest in going back to Xenoblade Chronicles 1 or the Definitive Edition and seeing how I get on with that since apparently it's supposed to be like less fan y and simpler in its systems. So we'll see how that goes. But not Xenoblade Chronicles X. We'll see. I don't know. It's just like the English voice acting plus the Sawano Hiroyuki soundtrack. I think I found like a hard thing to get over. Uh, we all love a good Sawano soundtrack. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to listen to 110 hours of Sawano Hiroyuki soundtrack though. Like that might be too much. I just remember I, I remember playing the um, get getting to the character creation screen, and it was already just like head-banging Sawano <laughs> ridiculousness and I just thought, no, this is too much. It is one that I've uh, wanted to give a go, but yeah, never ended up actually grabbing it because it was always really pricey. And now, uh, I don't think I even have a Wii U anymore, I don't know. Really? Man, I still use mine for Crunchyroll because the phone app is terrible now. It's very true, it's very true. These are the hot takes, folks. Uh, so you, you'd recommend it, I guess, for some music? I mean, I guess, I don't know, it's one of those, I, I think it, 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 it's not for everyone, mm. it's a game that, like I said, it took me two attempts to get into, so maybe, you know, if you don't, if, if the first time isn't, the second time's the charm, maybe. 
a good or tip. maybe if you but you know it there's just so much crap to get through to the good stuff but the good stuff is so good kind of i don't know anymore we'll see fair play here's looking forward to Xenoblade chronicles 3 maybe maybe announced at e3 this year oh maybe so you wanted to talk about Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc. Yeah, what here. what a name for a game. Uh, I, I assume you're aware of Danganronpa. I am aware of it, yes. There was a, an anime adaptation at some point back in like the mid-2010s, I think, uh, that turned a few people onto it. So this Because this is a game that originally came out on the PSP uh, back in like 2010, I want to say, in Japan. Um probably quite a bit longer to work its way over here um and recently was uh released on pc the first like three games in the series um which is why it's gotten a bit of attention recently but it's, it's certainly not you know in the zeitgeist at this point i'd say mm-hmm. um so Romper trigger happy havoc is basically a like murder mystery type investigation visual novel exploration game thing that was a lot of words uh, yeah, that does sound like what my impressions of the game have been. So there yeah. you go, perfectly accurate. Um, the, the the basic premise is that a bunch of kids who are all child prodigies of some description, um, whether it's in like martial arts or computer programming or like being the luckiest student ever, <laughs> um, are, are locked in this school uh, and forced to basically uh, kill each other if they want to escape and get back to the real world. This is a very loose premise. Um, which is basically then the setup for a number of like murder scenarios, uh, murder mysteries, where yeah, like you you know, you find corpses and then you have to go around, you investigate, you like find clues on the body or around the school that you're trapped in. Um, and then there's like a trial sequence where you all the kids have to like hold this like round table where they figure out who's guilty um and if they figure out who actually committed the murder then that person gets put to death uh if they get it wrong then everyone else gets put to death and the murderer gets to escape and go and live out their real life um which is yeah pretty simple why not uh and so like there's a, a couple of different elements to the game mechanically um largely it's like a visual novel in terms of kind of skipping through text and like seeing what's going on you know character dialogue uh in a monologue of your quite boring main character (laughs) um but there's also yeah the exploration phase like i say so you can actually like walk around the school uh in these phases it's like a first person thing where you can like walk around and look at stuff um find clues uh or like spend time with your classmates as like a social element, like kind of personary where you can like give them gifts and like deepen your relationship and that kind of stuff. I'm not really sure like kind of what the value of that is, to be honest. Please don't vote for me to be murdered. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. basically, you're, you're like becoming buddy buddy with like as many people as you can, and then inevitably, you know, they turn out to be dreadful murderers. Um, no, you know, it's it's not it's not a, not your average situation, so you can't really blame them. Um, but like I get the, the the crux of it all is kind of the well it's it's piecing together the mysteries and then through the the class trial like uh, just kind of unraveling that and like showing that you've understood the case and 
it's it's kind of Phoenix Wrighty in terms of like one element of the class trials is like there'll be you know uh, a person they'll be giving out statements and then you know you have to spot the contradictory one and like attack it with the right piece of evidence that kind of thing. Um, but the kind of like really annoying bit <laughs> about the game is that like they've attached a whole bunch of like stupid mini games to the class trial. Um, so. Like, it's not just as straightforward as being like, this is the right evidence to, like, contradict that statement. Like, let's carry on. It's, uh, you're, you have a truth gun loaded with truth bullets, um, that are pieces of evidence, and you have to shoot the statement, like, out of the air, uh, the contradictory statement with your truth bullet. Um, and, like, sometimes it's obscured by, like, some random, like, thought line where you're like huh is that really what they're talking about and so you have to like shoot that first with like a different gun question mark and then shoot the contradictory statement underneath it otherwise your bullet will bounce off and that's just like annoyingly fiddly and like completely unnecessary because obviously you know that you know the statement that you're supposed to use i don't know why now my dexterity is being challenged as part of this game um there's a rhythm game element to it as well where like you have like a showdown with a character when they decide to be really stubborn and not listen to what you say, where you have to, like, in time to the beat, like, select the statements that they're saying, where it's like, oh, I don't believe you, or like, this is nonsense. <laughs> and then, once you've selected them, you then have to shoot them, and, like, just, like, bam, 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 bam. And it's just, like, it's fine, but why? Uh, it's just, like, a weird, unnecessarily unnecessary layer to, like, pad out um, do, your experience of games... this mystery. Do the mini games somehow, you know, take away from the gravitas of the <laughs> murder situation by any chance? <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Like it's the entire thing is like completely larger than life and overblown and over the top. So like the tone, to be honest, is fairly consistent throughout. Like the the, the, the rhythm game doesn't even feel like that out of place. It's just stupid and boring and unnecessary. Um, and there's another another couple of like mini game type things along those lines that are thrown in there. And I would much rather just like yeah demonstrate the fact that i've understood the mystery <laughs> and what's going on and just kind of progress through the scenario um rather than do these like unnecessary like tests of reaction time or like yeah it's just a pain it's just a pain i'm only ever frustrated when they're happening um and similar to like phoenix Wright and other games in this kind of vein obviously it's hard it's quite hard to write like a sort of trial like mystery scenario in like an interactive way that you know always works so like the thing that always happens to me in phoenix right and happens to me here as well is like if you've got like a number of statements and obviously you're supposed to contradict them with the right piece of evidence the way that you're interpreting it isn't always like the way that they like the, the author is sort of presenting it to you so like there might even be two like very similar statements one after the other and you're like, well, obviously I have to challenge one of these with this piece of evidence to like show that they're wrong. But then inevitably you'll pick the wrong one, even though it's saying fundamentally the same thing as the other statement. And then it's like, no, you're you're stupid. Uh, try again, um, which can be a bit annoying. But uh, I will also say that like the mysteries themselves and like the murder scenarios and the like lock room things and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's quite like they're quite um, intricate murders uh and they're actually like really cool and they're sort of really interesting to unpick 
but they're not like super difficult to figure out what's going on um and so because this is obviously a visual novel and you're like playing out from the perspective of your character you as the player is usually quite a bit of ahead of like where your character and like the other children in the school are to like figuring things out um which can be a bit annoying because then obviously you have to like well, first of all, you like sit through a bunch of dialogue where the character's like, oh, actually, maybe it could be something like this. And you're like, yeah, I figured that out like 20 minutes ago or whatever it is. Um, or, yeah, you're going through the class trial and it's like, why don't we just skip like these few like really basic elements of the case and get on to the bit that's actually nitty gritty. Um, and unfortunately, because of this, like it also, because it's pitching the difficulty like a bit lower, I think, um, the bits where you can see it being a bit trickier to figure things out or like there needs to be a bit of leap of logic or deduction to like go ah i see it must have been this person or like this weapon was used at this time or something like that um the bits that are actually challenging it often just like gives you for free which is like really unsatisfying like it's almost as if the game's like oh well, they're not going to be able to figure this out so let's just put this in the dialogue and then they'll be able to use that like later on and it's kind of like well I don't really feel like much of a detective if you do that. Um, so so basically what you're saying is we're going to name this section of the podcast Mike is too much of an intellectual heavyweight for kids' games. Is that the answer? Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a kids' game. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah. But definitely I mean, too much of an intellectual heavyweight. That's the, that's the main it's, point. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing as a developer, like... It's yeah. always hard to know where to pitch it because if obviously if things are too hard, like people will get frustrated and they're not going to play your game. Um, but conversely, obviously if they're too easy uh, and they might not be too easy for everyone, um, then yeah, it's going to be less satisfying. But like, despite these niggles that obviously I've put out, um, I, I am enjoying it. Like I haven't finished it yet. I think I'm over halfway through. The game actually did a weird thing where it's like, Psst, you're halfway through the game now, um, <laughs> which was quite uh, quite helpful. Um, and there's, it looks like there's a few kind of big twists and turns and revelations about the world that we're in. So, uh, it, is this still the the first game? This is it? still the first one, yeah. Like I actually, I've, I think I've bought the first three. There was like a bundle on yeah. sale in Steam a little while back. Um, <clears> but yeah, I'm still on the first one for now. Uh, and yeah, I'm uh, enjoying it to the extent that I'll probably go on and play the others as well. I, I'm just curious if some of these sort of, I, 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 as I vaguely understand about Danganronpa, the mini games is kind of just a, a thing. I don't know if they get less obnoxious, but I do wonder if maybe they'll sort of iron out some of the kinks with like the the leaps of logic and things like that, or whether that'll get any better. From what I've heard, the mini games probably get more obnoxious, <laughs> um, but I think there are difficulty <clears throat> settings where you can basically just make them like completely trivial and like almost ignorable. Uh, in terms of the cases, I'm told that they 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 get better, like more interesting, more elaborate, like as the games go on. Um, so I don't know whether that also means that they keep giving you like the hard stuff for free or whether it's a bit so more you, interesting to figure out for yourself. So you kind of like, I mean, a, a difficulty slider for like, for the cases would presumably be a lot more difficult and <laughs> a lot more, a lot harder to implement yeah. than a difficulty slider for the mini games, but it, you kind of almost want a slider for both. So just saying like, no, I want these mini games to be stupidly easy but i want the actual cases to like t test my brain yeah that would be great but as you say yeah pretty pretty impossible i mean well i mean doable but investing a lot of time that's probably mm. not like worth the return um 
But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really good, actually. Um, I'm enjoying it. I like a good murder mystery, as we discussed in our Games of 2020 podcast, I believe. Um, yes. So, yeah, it's good fun. Like, the bits that I picked out, and also the fact that like a lot of the characters are like totally over the top and, and great on you <laughs> quite a bit, um, it can be a bit annoying. But, like, yeah, on the whole, a, a good experience. There is a a new Danganronpa game, I think, announced on the Switch not that long ago. Is that Am right? About that? That ring, rings a vague bell. Um, I can't say, yeah, because obviously I haven't been a, an engaged fan of the series until mm. this point. I haven't necessarily kept my eye out for them. Um, but like, I'd, I'd be interested to see what that looks like. I mean, it, it's interesting because you, you mentioned um, Phoenix Wright, sort of Ace Attorney. It's always something that I've been interested in, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's kind of like, I think that, I don't know how many games there are at this point, but it's like, do I start at the beginning? Do I start somewhere in the middle? I think there was a Phoenix Wright collection or something you get on Switch. And I did look at, at into it, but it's obnoxiously expensive. It can like, be annoyingly expensive. Yeah, the, the Phoenix Wright trilogy, which is, yeah, the first three games, um, it's, it's a really good package. And they're like quite, quite a self-contained like arc mm. within those three. Um, and that they're probably like the best overall still. Um, I think it was like forty five pounds. I yeah, can't I, I'd get it on sale <laughs> if you can. Uh, but like playing on handheld is the way to do it for sure. Like Switch mm. is a good place for it. And they're, they're really fun games. I really like Phoenix Wright. Uh, there are then yeah a bunch of other games, some of which are better than others. Um, and there's like some spin offs which you can probably completely ignore. Um, but yeah, it's, I'd say it's worth it. And there's there's more coming supposedly down the line there's one like phoenix wright spin-off thing which is like the great ace attorney investigations or something like that which is like um basically the same kind of mechanics but it's set like uh it's basically victorian england or something and like your main character is called like herlock sholmes or something oh yes yeah i think i've I think I've heard about this one. Yeah, uh, but it's supposed to be really good. Like, it's been out in Japan for ages and ages, and like they're just now porting it. Um, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick that up. So that should be good fun. But yeah, so Dang and Rumpy, you think you're going to keep going with it and um, yeah, potentially play the the other th- two games that you have? I probably will. Uh, I might need a bit of a rest after the first one before <laughs> going yeah. into the second one. But yeah, I feel like that that's the problem with those like packages of games it's just, it's just like because you have them all at once you play through one and you're like wow that was great and then you think actually i need a rest before i yeah you need a bit of a palate cleanser probably between. yeah um but yeah that's 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 danganronpa cool um so we've just got a, f- a few more like things to to work through on our on our list um I wanted to do like a general discussion topic, which I think will like lead into some other things we've talked about today, which is that dubs are almost never good. <laughs> and I mean, this isn't like, you know, a crazy uh, unpopular opinion or anything like that. I think lots of people would agree. But um, you, you often sort of get people saying, oh, yeah, no, you should watch the dub for this one. The dub for this one's actually really good. And I just go, no, I still don't want to watch it. And I think people don't always talk about 
why it is that dubs are often not good because they just say oh it's just because the voice actors are worse but that's actually only one part of it i believe that there are four pillars of reasoning behind why dubs are bad and i will go through them do enlighten us then so um they are and i now need to remember these translation uh acting directing and another one that i've completely forgotten why didn't i write these <laughs> these, these catchy four pillars of uh dub design yeah we'll, we'll tweak this one later so they can remember all of it so yeah basically um it's not just and, and these will kind of tie into each other so it's like the it, it so but basically when, whenever you whenever you translate anything you're never going to get a perfect meaning translation is an art not a science and especially oh Cadence is the other one. Sorry. Cadence. Cool. We got it. We got it. Translation, cadence, directing, acting. Boom. Done. Sorted. Okay. Art, so, not science. <laughs> art, not science. Translation is an art, not a science. So inevitably when you translate something, you're never going to get the meaning exactly right. So you're never going to, even if you know you've got, there's lots of, I think, phrases that are treated as equivalent in between Japanese and English like you hear something in Japanese you expect it to be translated in a particular way and sometimes people translate in a different way and everyone goes no you're wrong what are you doing it's like well yeah but the meaning is essentially the same it's like no you're wrong it always means this and that's just not true so that's that 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 happens a lot and then the awkward thing is not only do you have to translate things, but you've got to translate things in a way that they match this is the lip flaps of what's going on on screen, which often leads to uh, sentences that have very odd cadence. Like you have to sort of speed through saying some things and say some things more slowly, depending on how the translation's been done. So you've got the translation, and then you're sort of shoehorned by this. And this is less of a problem in games, where the lip sync is less of a thing and I mean generally you know the lip sync and anime is mostly forgiving but you still you still got to kind of follow on along with the visuals on screen so you you've got a something you've got to translate from a different language which is already difficult and then you've got to write it in an odd cadence Mm -hmm. and then you've got to have an actor speak those lines and I mean it's just a fact that in the west voice acting particularly sort of for anime and things like that is not particularly like highbrow it's it, 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 not highbrow it's not a very like illustrious role it's like it's the difference between i i, I think i've said the difference between sort of western voice actors and japanese voice actors is the japanese voice actors will be like famous famous and the Western voice actors will be like famous on Twitter or like famous YouTubers or something. And there are definitely good actors out there and they're definitely capable of good acting, but generally like the amount of, sort of training and the range of actors you get, there's just so no comparison. Like on Xenoblade, every single one of the unlockable blades has like a different, mostly famous voice actor. Whereas 
in the English version, they're probably all voiced by, I don't know, a lot, like there's a voice actor who's probably doing three or four of the blades at least. So you don't get that, that variety. And that's also a problem. And then, so you've got an actor who may not necessarily have the sort of the skills to follow along. They're following an awkward script, which they then have to speak at an awkward cadence. And then you've got direction. And that's just the difference between sort of being like, okay, we've listened to the Japanese version and this is what they're saying. And they're sort of being, saying in an angry way. So you say this also in an angry way. And I mean, I don't know how much, what, what they get in the way of sort of notes from the original recording, but the difference between just having a recording engineer being like, yeah, you need to like say that in a slightly different way to match the, uh, <clears throat> match the lip flaps here versus having the original director in the room being like, no, I need you to like convey this emotion because this is what this character's going through at this point. You're never going to capture that in the same way just from sort of listening to what they're saying. I mean, you, you might get close and you can definitely can do a good job, but it's always like a Chinese whispers kind of secondhand mm. thing. And all those factors kind of combined together just means that you end up with what is always going to be just like a facsimile. It's never going to be close to the original result and the original intention, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but it usually means that it's not actually close to what it's supposed to be. It's a different result. Yeah, it's a different thing. And I just thought that... It's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Because, I mean, uh, Castlevania is an interesting one for that because we were saying how we prefer the Japanese version, which, in that case, is sort of... That's kind of turning on its head. It's just Mm. like, is that because the quality of the... Again, we said there's, there's famous actors in um in the, both the english and the japanese version but maybe it's just that the actors in the japanese version are trained voice actors and they're used to, and the directors are working with them are used to directing voices and maybe there's just that aspect of it is overcoming the translation and the um and the cadence problems so yeah, it's just I I feel like it's something where people will just often sort of bring it down to yeah no the uh, the the voice actors aren't as good, and I think it's just it's so much more of a complex problem, and there's not really anything there's not I mean you know there's there's not a whole lot you can do about it, unless the industry drastically changes unless you know the the dubbing companies get and I think the dubbing companies are under a lot of pressure as well. Like with a lot of the speed that people have been getting dubs out, it's like a few weeks after the original airing for some of these things. It's like they're clearly just like you, you feel like a lot of these things have to be rushed through. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, you're definitely right. Like all good points. Um, and yeah, I don't know what the kind of solution would be. Obviously, I guess if you know that something's going to be like a big international success, like something like Demon Slayer or something, I guess you can maybe bring translation into the process like a bit earlier <laughs> in the process um, to like make sure it's kind of, yeah, like you're properly factoring in like what the experience will be for a different audience. Mm. But yeah, I mean, that, that that comes with its own complications and expenses. And 
like yeah do you at some point start sacrificing maybe like the original work and it's an original language to like you know adjust for like potential translation and things yeah i don't know like like you say it's been very rare that i've tried a, a dub that has yeah sat well enough with me for me to be able to kind of <laughs> watch through um and yeah, you... like some sometimes it is like hard to pin down what exactly is grating. Like if it's not exactly the voices, and it is kind of it's the stuff that you mentioned. Yeah, it's the cadence. It's it's all this stuff. So yeah, it's tricky. But like, the, I, I think it's important to say as well. Like I don't, and I assume you don't begrudge anyone who like wants to watch things dubbed. And like, no, it is certainly but... an experience that you're, you're welcome to choose. And like, obviously, people have. Uh, different ways of consuming all sorts of media and like whether that's in the background or like all this kind of stuff like i think for me it's just about that understanding of just like why it is that i feel that mm. a dub will always almost always end up as an inferior product like and it's not just it, it's not like a, a sort of a turning up my nose being like nah, i don't like dubs i don't want to listen to it in english because you know i'm a dirty weep which i am yeah but there's like actual and again it's something that I've always sort of I think felt more than actually thought about but more recently I've, I've just been giving more thought to it and I was just like you know this is actually like far more of a inherent thing than I'd actually really thought about I mean a, a lot of this is kind of I've um there is a um a, a funny video that actually sort of inspired some of this which is probably not particularly accurate but the um so Joe Zieja or Zieja, I don't know how you say his name exactly, but he's the um the English voice actor for Claude um in Fire Emblem Three Houses. Mm. And he does some funny YouTube videos. But he did one um of him like doing sort of what what it's like to record for anime. <clears throat> and he's in the booth and the guy's just like, Yeah, this is gonna be a uh, a, a four part surprise noise and he's like what four parts and he's like yeah and it's just like <laughs> it's like yeah sorry no that, that was actually, it's actually a six part surprise noise like <laughs> it's like yeah yeah okay we got that now and it's just like that's no I, I don't know how accurate that is um but clearly you know the difference between just being like you need to be surprised about this and um and you know it, it, this is the emotions you're feeling right now versus you need to try and sort of articulate this weird noise so that it matches the lip flaps on the screen and there's one very notable oh it's been like I, I hadn't really come across this until relatively recently from uh listening to xenoblade 2 music on youtube i've get, recommended some other videos and there's a particular bit where rex the main character like bursts through uh, the deck of a ship like with his big fiery sword like screaming and in the Japanese one he's like Rrr! and in the Japanese and in the English he just goes ah and it's become quite famous as being just like really stupid and there were people in the comments talking about how and a lot of this is hearsay but basically understanding seems to be that the English voice cast were given sort of almost no context for their lines. Mm. They were just told this is the this is the line, but not like why you're making this noise or what the context is. And that's just such an important part of the um, 
of the whole experience. Well, there you have so, it. So, yeah. Dubs suck. Get over it. <laughs> or oh, don't. Yeah. Let's not make too many enemies. <laughs> I think, you know, we've already talked... We've already said our feelings on Haikyuu multiple times. I think <laughs> we're already... Um, we should talk about the Haikyuu dub. That, that's uh, all, like, really... Well, actually, I've seen some quite funny bits from the Haikyuu. Not, like, funny because it's good, though, from the Haikyuu dub. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next thing we're going to talk about is our hot recommended shows for the um, for the upcoming season. So, the ongoing um, season. We were going to talk about the ones that we've we've dropped, uh, but we, we might leave that. We're, we're running a bit low on time, so we may leave that for our wrap-up. So uh, what, what are your top picks, Mike? I'm just going to run through the list. My top picks that I have been enjoying this season, uh, I'll go alphabetically, maybe, because I'm looking at my analyst. Um, so there is, <laughs> this doesn't sound like it's alphabetical because it's a Japanese title, uh, To Your Eternity, um, which is uh, a very funky show, uh, which is adapted from a manga by the author of uh, Silent Voice, I think is probably the most famous work uh, in the West. Um, it would take far too long to explain the premise of the show, but like, check it out. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not explaining <laughs> premises, yeah. we're just listing here, Mike. Yeah. Listing. To Your Eternity, there's one. Um, Odd Taxi, uh, which is like a very like wacky uh, kind of mystery grown-up show of like daily life, but larger than life, and also everyone's an animal. Um, Vivi Fluorite Eyes Song, which is a hard thing to say um, and sounds very silly, uh, but it's a show about a singing robot who also has to save the world from being destroyed by AI, and it's very, very good. Uh, nice. And the, the classic one that you you are also going to recommend, I assume, is Zombieland Saga: Revenge, i.e., the second yes. season of Zombieland Saga, which you should also watch if you haven't done that already. Yeah, um, I don't have that many shows to recommend other than Zombieland Saga, which Revenge, which is a great show, which Mike should also recommend. <laughs> hasn't already. Um, and uh, I've been watching Mashiro no Uto, which is a shamisen playing anime, which is sort of. I, I think, you know, I, I am kind of enjoying it, but I'll uh, I'll let you know my thoughts at the end. But it's if you're into, like, music, anime, and angst, then if you liked uh, Shigatsu Akimi no Uso, um, You'll Lie in April, you'll mm. probably like it. There's also, like, Chihaya for you energy in there as well. Oh, um, yeah. But I will say that it's... it's... I mean, at least it's so not... far, it's not really matching up to that kind of quality. No, it, it's... Chihaya for is, like, way... Chihaifer is way too good. Anyway. Anyway. Cool. Which brings us to the end of uh, episode 8. A clean two hours, probably less once we've edited down. Indeed. What a lovely experience. It's uh, been great chatting to you, Ben. It's been good, and I'm glad that we did this. And uh, I hope that everyone enjoyed episode 8. Stuff Ben and Mike like. Because we like stuff. We like stuff. We should really work on that outro. Uh, did we only really have an outro? We had exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, bye for now. Ciao.